Well, Happy New Year's to everyone. Um, yeah, I, the ball dropped and we were like, all right, there we go, another year. But, um, so to those of you here and online, welcome. I'm, as Pastor Dave said, I'm glad that you're here. I wanted to start real quick with a quote. It says, I believe the gospel. Some of my theology is wrong. And some of my theology will be wrong at death. The Bible doesn't teach that God is in a constant state of annoyance with anxiety over or suspicion of me. He patiently loves and teaches me. So to start, my name is Adrian Nolan. I have had the awesome blessing of being the youth director here for the past four years. Um, <clears throat> and I just want to recognize in front of all of you that I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm nervous to be in this place of authority, but I love all of you, and I know that love is, is reciprocated, so God is good, and I'll be okay. But over the past week or so, I'll be super honest with you, the only thing going through my head has been, you are so young and unexperienced. What could you possibly have to share with people that have been walking with Jesus for much longer than you have? And trust me, I know that's not from God, <clears throat> but it's been the sentiment in my heart for the past week. And as the quote states, the most I can give you this morning is the fact that I believe in Jesus, and I, I, I believe in, in the gospel, and I love Jesus. <laughs> um, I hold to incorrect theology. I will, see, I will do so until I die, and I recognize that. So this first Sunday morning of 2022, I can offer you the things that our Jesus has been teaching me over the last year and a half and pray that the Spirit can somehow use it. Uh, so back in August of 2020, amidst all of our frustration and fear in the world, I had my first and probably not last Jonah moment. I had admittedly turned my back on ways that God was asking to work in my life, and after years of denying him that space, he sent that metaphorical big fish to bring me back to the foot of the cross, no matter how much I didn't want to be there. But we serve and worship a merciful God, and he's slowly working to soften my heart and open my eyes to the truth of his steadfast love. So that's the lens with which I come before you this morning. Brokenness in hand, still learning full trust in the spirit, and only a year and a half worth of letting Jesus teach me about the reality of the soul that he gave me. So it's my prayer that you, just as I, have, uh, you can find healing and challenge in these words. Um, so I would like to, as a body of believers, as a church family, just to take a moment in silence to settle our hearts, put aside our distractions, and present our minds and our hearts to the Lord. So will you join me in just a moment of silence before our Jesus? Lord, hear our prayers. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so I want to start with a question. Um, have, ever, have any of you ever been faced with that, like, inviting statement, tell me a little bit more about yourself, and you suddenly have no idea who you are? You have no clue. The movies that you've watched in the last year, you don't know what your favorite song is, and you suddenly have no, uh, no intelligence on your favorite hobbies. 
Um, by your laughter, I assume you have. I have as well. So for that reason, I actually keep a list of random facts about myself in my Bible um, because I constantly forget who I am and can go there to remind myself. So here's just a small list of those things. I'm the oldest of three. I have two younger sisters whom I adore, uh, and they both work in the science and medical field. When I was little, I actually wanted to be a school bus driver or a school crossing guard. Uh, I play the violin, guitar, and ukulele. I was named after my great-grandfather, Adrian Dallas Shuneman. I am a Hufflepuff and an Enneagram 9, for those of you that know what that means. Um, I don't like coffee or tea. I love March Madness. I firmly believe that pineapple belongs on pizza. I'm afraid of birds. Uh, and I, was, I accepted Jesus when I was 15, and he called me into ministry when I was 16. Um, but my personal favorite fact to share that's admittedly not on that sticky note list, uh, especially in the context of this church, is that Pastor Jeff has been working here for the same amount of time that I have been alive. <laughs> he started serving here in 1995. I was born in 1994. Um, and I know every time I bring it up, he's just delighted. So Jeff, wherever you're watching from, you're welcome. Um, so that's me on the left, and Mary, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, um, and then Pastor Jeff and Mary on the right. Those pictures were taken around the same time. <laughs> um, so that's a bit about me. So I wanna shift gears for a minute here. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and grab those. Um, and if you don't, the words will also be on the screen. We're going to open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 22. Um, and I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. So if you could stand as you are able, so we can receive God's word together. But we appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you, and have charge of you in the Lord, and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with all of them. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise the words of the prophet, prophets, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Amen. Please be seated. All right, so if there's one thing that I really, really genuinely hope uh, that if when the teens are done with youth group, if they take anything from our time together, one of those things is I, I want them to understand how important context is. When you're reading a passage, it's so important to ask the question, who's talking? Who are they talking to? Why are they talking? Is this a letter? Is this a historical account? Is this a story about Jesus or one of his disciples? But to be asking those questions about the text you're reading is going to let you know what you're reading and why you're reading it. So I want to give you some context here. This is probably one of the first inspired epistles that we have from Paul, this first letter to Thessalonians. Um, and I'm a visual learner, so like when someone reads off a list, I got nothing. So for those of you that are also visual learners, I have a timeline here for you about how this letter kind of came to be. 
Paul and his friends and coworkers, Silas and Timothy, and perhaps others, were on their way from prison in Philippi to Thessalonica. And that was on what we now know to be Paul's second missionary journey. Over the course of at least three weeks, Paul, Silas, and Timothy saw many Jewish people and Greeks turn from a polytheistic idolatry to a life devoted to King Jesus. And as we read all over the New Testament, the rise of the gospel message that proclaimed Jesus as king didn't quite sit well with authority. The early church faced a lot of persecution, and Thessalonica was no different. We can read about this particular account, or this particular visit, in Acts chapter 17, where verses 6 and 7 say, These people who have been turning the world upside down have also come here. They are all acting contrary to the decrees of King Caesar, saying that there is another king named Jesus. This countercultural gospel brought so much persecution to the church that Paul, Silas, and Timothy had to flee. After traveling around to a few other places, Paul would eventually end up in Corinth, Silas in Philippi, and Timothy actually back in Thessalonica. Silas and Timothy would soon join Paul in Corinth, and after Paul heard from Timothy of the account of how well the church was doing, Paul wrote this letter. He wrote his first letter to the Thessalonians, gave it to Timothy, and he took it back. Its purpose is to both encourage the church and to, conti to continue to live faithfully out of the hope for the second coming and to challenge them to continue to live holy lives that follow the preaching and teaching of Jesus. Frankly, I think that's a message that we can embrace today in 2022. We are still a church waiting in this Advent, celebrating and rejoicing in Christmas, yes, but trying to figure out how to live in this tension of the already but not yet kingdom of heaven. So how do we live out that tension? What does that look like for us today in 2022? How do we live knowing that Jesus has already provided the perfect sacrifice and risen above death for the sake of his people, but all the while still living in this fallen world where we face challenge, tragedy, and trial on a daily, even hourly basis? And I want to step into that question by focusing on a smaller part of 1 Timothy 5, 12 through 22. It's rather overused, it's very common. Most of you probably recognized it as we read it. Verses 16 through 18 say, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I mean, I think it's pretty common to explore this verse and remember it around November, and for good reason. Um, it's a beautiful reminder of how we are to navigate this world and where we know how the story ends, but we're still living here in the middle. So what about rejoicing always or giving thanks always, especially when you, you know, find yourself in the middle of a global pandemic with economic and political strife everywhere you turn, where work burnout is praised and family life always has to take a back seat. Rejoice always. Give thanks in all circumstances. If we're being honest, that kind of sounds impossible. And truthfully, 
that's where I found myself about a year and a half ago. As opposed to praying prayers of thanksgiving and rejoicing in Jesus, I was praying these prayers, and I'm sure many of you can relate those desperate prayers to God that say, just make the situation better. God, just let me feel joy again. Or God, just fix me. In those moments, being thankful for the burdens that we harbor and the trials we endure seem illogical. At least it did to me. So after my, or after God's, delightful little Jonah moment, where I went kicking and screaming back to the foot of the cross, I find myself realizing that I needed to start learning from and listening to the people who were already faithfully walking through the trials that I found myself in. And through a, a webinar series that I came across with Dr. Gregory Coles, God very bluntly got my attention. And frankly, I have a terrible memory. It's concerning at times to me. Um, so I can't remember exactly what he said and cannot quote him directly, but it was something along the lines of this. He said, what if the things that I keep, keep earnestly praying for Jesus to take away, the things that I hate most about myself, is what will ultimately bring me the closest to God in the end. Wouldn't it then be unloving and cruel of him to take away something that the Spirit uses to help me see more and more of who he is? Brought me to tears. So what if we looked... <clears throat> My mouth is a desert right now. What if we looked to this new year being thankful for the things that we struggle with because sometimes it's through those things that we are only able to observe certain, certain qualities of God's nature. As opposed to looking <clears throat> to the next fix-it-all program, why not look at your brokenness? Greet it like an old friend and ask God to teach you about himself through it. And I understand that that might take a long time. I think that's a lifetime process and a lifetime journey that we're all seeking after, and it's gonna take a while to get to know yourself. Um, I can't even remember a simple list of facts about myself without writing it down first, so I get that this seems like a tall order. But in the New Testament, we watch as the all-knowing God approaches human brokenness by asking questions. To Adam and Eve, he asked, where are you? To Jacob, he asked, what is your name? To Hagar, where do you come from? And as we turn to the New Testament, we even see Jesus asking, why have you forsaken me? Each time we see God giving humanity the space to wrestle, understand, and question. So if the Spirit can give us the mercy and patience to dwell in and understand hurt, then why do we often rob ourselves of that same grace? Therapist Jay Stringer said, when we begin to really think about where should I be looking for the arrival of God in my story, we need to realize that it's not going to be in youth group necessarily. It's not going to be in the Sunday school class or in a pew, even though those are beautiful and good things. But if you want to understand where the God of the universe is going to show up in your story, look no further than your brokenness. This is where God is pleased to dwell. And this idea that God is pleased to dwell in our brokenness 
shouldn't be new to any of us, but it's so easy to get caught up in this facade. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, all right. Thank you. Let's start that paragraph over. So this idea of God dwelling in our brokenness, it shouldn't be new to us, but it's always a good reminder because we can often get caught up in this facade that we need to have it all together and we need to have a plan for the future, I think especially as we step into the new year. So my challenge for you in 2022 is to take a step back Embrace the ways that the fallen world has impacted your life and ask the Spirit to enlighten who Jesus is in the midst of the things that you yet can't be thankful for. Dan Allender has a quote about evil, and it says this. It says, evil is limited by, the exist by its existence as a creature. Evil is not omnipresent, is not omniscient, or, let's see if I can pronounce it right, omnipotent. Only God is God. Nevertheless, the kingdom of darkness is intentional, well-informed, relentless, and perverse. So stepping into those hurts and that darkness and that brokenness, yes, intense. But our God is bigger. I want to leave you with just quick, four quick things to maybe encourage you and to remind you this new year to go easy on yourself. The first, remember that you're loved by your God. Genesis could have opened by declaring God as a powerful Lord over all, but instead it called him creator. Among all the things that we could learn first about God, that is the first. That you have a creator, and your creator has called you a masterpiece not a piece of junk, where God shrugged and said, good enough. But instead, he whispered over you, my child, you are good. Second is give yourself space to ask these questions and genuinely try to listen to the answer. Perhaps letting go of personal, worldly, and harsh expectations would do your heart some good as God begins to teach you more about himself. Ask those questions by, by learning, by reading books, by sitting in God's silence, by listening to podcasts, or talking with safe people like friends, family, or counselors. And most importantly, spend time in the Word. If you're going to ask God to reveal his nature through your brokenness, then you have to give your space, yourself that space to hear the answers. The third, be kind to yourself. We are more often than not our own worst critic and meanest bully. We've walked through a lot in the past two years, and you don't have to beat yourself up because you're not where you thought you'd be today. And last, know that we're all kind of navigating this unknown. Theologian Thomas Merton wrote a prayer entitled A Prayer of Unknowing, and I came across it a few years ago, and ever since it's, or a few months ago, and ever since it's rung in my in my ears often, especially as I'm finding myself rather discouraged in the waters that God has me dwelling in. But I want to leave you with these words and pray that it encourages you to embrace the unknown of letting Jesus teach you about himself through the things that you can't yet be thankful for.
So will you join me in prayer as I pray this over you? My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going, and I don't see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really even know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will doesn't actually mean that I'm doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I trust you, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust. I will trust you always. Though I may seem lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. So, Father, we come before you this morning humbled that you've completed your work on the cross so that we may come into your presence here. We thank you, Spirit, that we can cling to the reality that you will never leave us. God, you are patient, and you are good. And I ask that you continue in your mercy towards us. We recognize that this world is broken, and not what you intended, but we praise you because you can bring beauty from ashes, you turn brokenness into glory, and we can live in the eternal hope of heaven all of the days that we toil here on earth. Teach us the unforced rhythms of your grace. Father, we trust that you will make all things right when you arrive again. And oh, how our souls long for that day. But until then, continue to guide us through to your throne. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for loving us even more than that. In your name we pray. Amen.